Fonkose proudly presents our unscripted podcast, Voices of Hope. In this first season, you'll hear from extraordinary individuals whose support and service are making a difference. They may look different from each other and come from very different backgrounds, but the one thing they have in common is their love and respect for Haiti. On tonight's episode, we speak to Corinne Ronan, Executive Director of Foncose Foundation. Here is our interview. So, uh, my name is Karen Ronan. I'm in Haiti since December 1995. And I originally trained as a medical doctor. I practiced medicine for six years in Rwanda. But since coming to Haiti, um, I've kind of bit by bit changed my career from practicing medicine to managing health programs to just pure management at organizational level. And I'm with Foncose since November 2009. Yes. And what is your connection to Haiti for those that don't know? So I actually met my husband, um, Mario Laroche, who is a Haitian medical doctor in Antwerp, in my hometown in Belgium. Uh, We did our master's in public health together. And so after the end of the master's course, he said, why don't you come and have a look in Haiti? And so (laughs) 26 years later, two kids we're still together and I'm still in that's Haiti. amazing that's an amazing love story <laughs> yeah so Karen growing up was there an emphasis on being charitable charitable or being of service to others or is this something you developed on your own uh, if so or if not who helped influence your view mm-hmm. um I was raised in a, a catholic a practicing catholic family and um the way my parents saw um, God and religion and uh, was was partly going to mass every Sunday, but it was also being part of a youth group, a Catholic youth group of um, prayer circles. And, and definitely while we were growing up, there was an emphasis on helping others, whatever way you could, um, and being responsible for uh, the well-being of others around you. Right. So it, it was really very much part of um, the, the culture of the family I grew up in. Yeah. Is that what led you to study medicine? Had you always want to as a child? Yeah. I actually, it's it's interesting. Um, about 10 years ago, we we had a, a class reunion, you know, with the, all the girls. I was in a girl-only school. So with all the girls, we, we were together with uh, in high school. And one of the teachers brought a a book in which we had all written a little word saying what we wanted to become later (laughs) when we were were adults. And it was really interesting. I was 16 and I wrote that I wanted to be a medical doctor and go to Africa. Wow. So it's it's been part of, of who I wanted to be for a long time. I didn't end up in Africa, but Haiti is a, is a little <laughs> piece of Africa that got lost in, in the Americas. So um, Exactly. Too far off. <laughs> so how did you become involved with Foncose? So I, I worked uh, for quite a while, for over 10 years, with a, um, a, an Irish NGO called Concern Worldwide. 
and Concern had a partnership with Foncose at that time. So when I became the country director of Concern Worldwide in Haiti, and that is back in, I think, hmm, let me think, must have been around 2004, 2005, something like that. Um, at the same time, I became a member of the Foncose Foundation Board. There was that kind of relationship between the two institutions. And so that's how I got to know uh, Foncose a bit better. And then uh, we had an even closer relationship afterwards because um, Foncose and Concern Worldwide worked together to launch the pilot project of CLM back in 2007. Okay. So working with Anne Hastings to um, plan out the new CLM program and get the funding for it and looking at evaluating it and learning from it. Um, it's, it's very much the first time when I started working with Focusy. And so that at, at the end of my term with uh, Concern, Anne and Father Joseph came to me and they said, we want you to work for Focusy. <laughs> and so uh, I joined them in November 2009. Okay. And what was your first um, impression of Haiti when you visited? You know, it was, it was interesting because my, my now husband um, came to pick me up from the airport. And the first thing we did was drive to one of the hotels at the, at the north of the city. Mm -hmm. And it was late and it was dark and there was so much so many cars and traffic and that a, a huge feeling of like a lot of energy and yeah. also a lot of chaos you know right <laughs> and um that hasn't changed there's still a lot of chaos there's a bit less energy these days because right. people are really, really tired with the situation um, but it's, it's, um, it's a mixed story, the way things have evolved in, in Haiti over the past 25 years. On one hand, roads are definitely better. Okay. Um, some services like phone services, internet services, bank services, and, uh, weirdly enough, access to fuel have improved a lot. Oh, they um, have improved. Oh, yes, they have. Okay. The infrastructure has improved. I remember when, when I first started out in Haiti, I was working in Saint-Marc. So Saint-Marc is about 70 kilometers to the north of Port-au-Prince. Mm. And you couldn't sign a check on a bank in Saint-Marc and then have it cashed out in Port-au-Prince. You had to take the cash, put it in a big bag, and then travel with the big bag of cash. Oh, my to gosh. To, get to, to do your payroll, for example, you see? So from that point of view, things were very, very primitive at that time. Wow. Now we've got, we've got online banking and, and we've got e-wallets. And so, so from that point of view, technologically, things have really evolved. And it's right. the same thing for fuel. At that time, between Port-au-Prince and Saint-Marc, you had no petrol stations. Now you've got like dozens. 
course, given the crisis today, none of these petrol stations are handing out petrol. Right. But yeah, the, on the, inf- yeah. the infrastructure uh, is there, you see? Right. Yeah. And on this side, you know, well, all, all over, really, all we see is the stories about how it's low on fuel over there and the crisis happening. So in in what ways has Foncose as an organization since you've been there grown and developed over time? Well, you know, it's been it's been interesting, but at times painful because mm. Foncose originally is an initiative of two people. It's Father Joseph and Anne Hastings. Yes. And until the moment when I, I joined Foncose, Father Joseph and Anne Hastings were very much at the core of most of the decisions that were, made, were being made in the organization. And then Father Joseph started to pull back. Anne left the, the country in 2013. And since then, the, the, the story has really been about three organizations structuring themselves and and formalizing both their internal processes and the way they deal with each other. Right. And um, I mean, it's it's really been growing pains, you know. Oh, yeah. A lot of discussions (laughs) and a lot of of, um, long meetings to actually agree formally on how we want to do things, the relationships to work. And I think it is one of the extraordinary, um, one of the extraordinary things about Foncose is that we actually made it work. Right. You know, because there's a lot of goodwill because there is a lot of um, attachment. All of us are very engaged towards the the organization and towards the clients that we serve. Um, We made it work and we made it through some some pretty stormy um, meetings and and, and (laughs) clashes and and fights. But, you know, we're here and we're more and more solid every day. So. Yes, it's a it's an interesting story because you know Foncose spans many different there's a huge number of culture gaps actually within Foncose. Hmm. You've got you've got educated Haitians, you've got the Timashan who are the, the, the core of who we want to serve. You, you've got our, our European partners, our, our partners in the US. We've got Foncose USA, who's very much part of who we are. Um, You see that all of these people come with their own background and their own way of seeing things. Right. And actually getting everybody to to, to talk to each other and to to work on on, on functioning systems together. It's been an adventure, but a, a, (laughs) a a very rewarding one. Yeah, that's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that need to come oh, together to yeah. make it work. <laughs> Absolutely. And can you talk a little bit about the challenges that the Foncose team in Haiti is are currently facing? Just as far as I know that things have improved in terms of the infrastructure and fuel, as you were saying, but with the current crisis, just so our audience now has an idea of what the team on the ground has to face to be able to serve those clients. So while the infrastructure 
has improved, I would say over the past five years, governance has become most more and more an issue. Mm. And getting people to, to work together and agree on things is getting more and more of an issue. Right. And so now we're kind of stuck in a, in, a, in a country that is in effect not governed anymore or not really. The government doesn't really control anything anymore. Right. So there's gangs control parts of the territory and these parts have been expanding steadily over the past two years we have a government, but that has no actual legal legitimacy anymore. We've got no parliament. The justice system hasn't been able to function at all for the past year. Um, and, and the last piece of this, of this whole difficult environment is that we don't have... Even if there's a there's a lot a lot of gas stations all over the country, mm-hmm. there's no gas to be had anymore. Wow. Um, this is partly due to the fact that there's a gang that is controlling the area around the main terminal where all the the fuel is being stocked. Right, and that gang has cut off access to that terminal. That's for that's been like for almost three weeks since wow. the government, since the government, the government two, two weeks ago, the, the government increased the price of fuel by 150 to 200% just in one go. That's incredible. In a country, in a country that is where, you know, we already have to deal with a 30% inflation rate on a year to year basis. Um, and more and more people are really going hungry. Yeah. So that that move by the government initiated a period of really violent, sometimes protests by the population. Um, people just being fed up with this situation and right. with this government that really is not showing any kind of even compassion, I would say, mm. for for their fellow citizens, you know. Right. So the, there's part of it is this this physical blocking of access to gas. The other part is that the whole we've been living with a an uncertain access to fuel for the past, I would say, two years, because the government is just not able to regulate and to handle the sector properly. They they move from huge increase in prices to subsidizing the the fuel prices, but then not being able to really subsidize and and put their cash where their mouth is. And so they say they subsidize it, but they actually don't have the money to do it. And so people don't get paid and they stop ordering fuel. And so there's actually not enough fuel in the country either. Wow. Yeah, so... So This is the crisis that has been in the making and kind of ramping up for the past, I would say, almost since July 2018. Wow. Yeah, so... Um, in that same vein, what 
what changes do you believe would make it better? And what is your wish for Haiti and its future with Foncose? You know, I know many, many people, uh, the, the opinions in Haiti are very, you know, some people would like the international community to intervene again. Right. And to bring a solution. Some people say Haitians have to do it. I think that the, the actual solution is probably a mix of both because mm. whether we want to or not, in Haiti today, um, a lot of the, the big part of the economy is dependent on relationship with the United States and with other countries in the region. So um, I think there has to be some way, there has to be some kind of a political breakthrough. And I think without big pressure from the international community, that political yeah. breakthrough will. But if, if we don't get to some kind of a political solution, mm -hmm. the only thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be some kind of a band-aid. Right. Um, and, and things are going to continue to simmer and de deteriorate underneath that makeshift solution and we're going to be back in the same place again in a year or two years or three years you see right. so somehow we have to find a solution that will bring haiti on a road where it becomes governable right and that can only be done through some kind of a political agreement yeah it's interesting you say you know, it has to be a mixture of international intervention and Haitians doing it for themselves because that that is the when I have interviewed Haitians that that is the consensus that we must do it for ourselves. But I, I do yeah. think, that, yeah, a mixture is certainly might work better. And so do you feel do you feel a sense of hope about the future there or what is it that you feel? You know, I would say I have a feeling of determination. Okay. Like, this is our country, and in a way, we have to make things work. Mm -hmm. I think hope is a bit too positive. <laughs> okay. Because I think most people, we would agree we need to find a, 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 some kind of a solution. Right. But very few people know how to how this could actually happen and yeah. so saying we're hopeful is probably too too much <laughs> to yeah <say>. taking <laughs> taking it a step too far yes <laughs> yes 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 you know a lot many 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 people are leaving haiti also right so for me and for many of our colleagues we say to each other haiti needs us let's yeah do what we can right but it's it, not like it's um yeah we don't necessarily see very clearly what the way out would be right and it's certainly not easy or an easy decision i'm sure no 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 it's not you know it's especially tough on on younger people who have small children yeah and in a way unfortunate because my kids are 
older and studying in Europe and I don't have to worry about them. Right. But if you're a young professional in Haiti today and you have kids who kind of school year was to, supposed to start at the start of September, the school year start was pushed back at the start of October, the, the schools definitely can't open today. No. Because wow. parents can't get their kids, kids to school. Teachers can't get there. So, you know, being a parent of young children in Haiti these days, it's uh, oof. Yeah, it's already it's, difficult. And then with those factors presenting themselves, yeah. even more difficult. So with all the, the heaviness going on sort of day to day, what do you spend your time personally on? What do you do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think some of the things that keep me sane is just talking to at least one friend a day, not yeah. letting myself getting hooked up too much. Um, it's yoga and Tai Chi, which oh, yeah. I try to do at least once a day. Uh, it's reading and watching Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly not, any anything I'm, good that you're currently watching <laughs> i'm a big fan of of chinese historic cloak and dagger kind of stuff okay <laughs> that's what that's what really puts my brain in zero and uh, <laughs> that's understandable to relax you know i'm i'm watching a uh, currently watching a korean sort of true crime show so i totally understand you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know, sometimes you have to allow yourself a few, a few hours of just brain on zero and enjoying the show. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this interview. We really appreciate it and appreciate everything that you're doing in Haiti, truly. Thanks, Brenda. We really appreciate your support and your continued enthusiasm. And, Thank you. you know, the fact that we're still there and not getting into negative, too many negative thoughts about Haiti. Too many people think it's a basket case. Right. We live here and we have to make it work. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. Foncoze has been empowering families throughout Haiti for nearly 30 years with the tools and supportive services needed to break the cycle of poverty. To discover more about our impactful work, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Foncoze, or visit our website at foncoze.org.